0: Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9:30 a.m. or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. First Samuel 12 is where we're at this morning. If you're turning in your pew Bible, it's number 2, 298. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. The main thing, the only thing that your Holy Spirit takes in our lives is the word is spoken into it and changes us. As we approach it today, we need Your Holy Spirit alive and at work. We all here struggle with sin. I know we all have something to learn today through the words that You spoke through Samuel to a nation that needed to hear those words. God, we need to hear these words today. I thank You for the work that You do. Thank You for Your faithfulness to us. Then, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our rebellion. You're still doing a work in our lives. You don't, you don't give up. You're patient. You're loving. Thank you for that. Thank you for Christian brothers and sisters that you bring into our lives to speak truth in love. I pray that we'd be receptive to those times. I pray be receptive as your word does that in our life and help us to learn today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here they stand in First Samuel 12... With their fists raised against God. But unusually so, their fists are raised against God, but they have smiles on their faces. Smiles on their faces because they don't believe that they're doing anything wrong. As far back as they can remember, generation after generation, God has ruled their nation directly by communicating his word to them through the prophets and directly leading them through the judges. Tenderly, yet firmly guiding them along paths that led to places where true freedom is found. Securely within a relationship with God. Distant relationship, but a real one nonetheless. They are the only nation in the history of the world that was ever ruled directly by God. It's called a what? A theocracy. But they no longer wanted to stand out among their peers. They wanted to be ruled by a human king, someone they could be proud of. A tangible presence of power to, to lead them in war, to sound a battle cry and draw the blood of their enemies, mingling with them in battle and inspiring them to fight harder. Or at least that was the romantic vision in their mind about a king. So here they stand with their fist raised against God, and they forgot that not all cravings are good. You know, they had just obtained the object of their desire in the person of Saul. Now, let's give Saul a little bit of credit here. At this point, he is acting righteously. And for many decades, he will do God's will as a leader. But Israel had a hard time connecting the dots. That in getting a king, just like everybody else had a king, they had really moved down the ladder from a greatly superior position and having God As their leader, there is a lesson for us here in 1 Samuel 12. Yes, we've never been under a theocracy, but we have God's direction in our lives. And we'll come to a great and wise lesson if you will take the time to think and ponder your life, your desires, your cravings, your requests for things that God has said hurt you. I think there's a great lesson to learn as I was listening to the baptism testament. Somebody came to Christ on a paddleboard. That's awesome. Why, why is that so amazing? When, I, when we used to live up in the Poconos, we were near a lake, and I would bring a kayak out there. I couldn't bring my phone with me. Nobody could get a hold of me. I just got to be out on a lake and think. I think those are some of the most tremendously spiritually forming times and where I did most of my thinking of even planning a church in Town, because I think it's the silence that we as Americans struggle so much to have that God uses to form our souls and our lives. So as we hear the preaching of God's word, at some point this week, take time to go back through First Samuel 12, set the tech aside, find a quiet place, and think on your life. Now, in the first five verses of this, I'm going to summarize Some of them as we go through it. We're going to have Samuel, and you're familiar with the the context as Pastor John preached last week and what was going on and how Saul was now formal or how yeah Saul was formally established as king once he won the battle. He was anointed before, then he won this battle, and then he was formally put in place. Now, whether Samuel's speech here comes at the time they requested a king or at this later coronation, wherever it happens, he takes time to talk to them. Now, I know most of our Bibles probably say, if it titles a chapter, that it's Samuel's farewell address. Maybe we all have that. This really isn't a farewell as in, I leave today, I said, see you guys, and I am gone out of your lives till I see you again. This is Samuel, he's still going to be involved in the nation of Israel, but he's saying farewell as judge, and staying on as prophet he'll continue to communicate God's revelation to the people. But he is stepping down as judge. Why? Because now it is a king that is leading and not a judge under direction by God. So he, he goes before them and sets up this courtroom scene where he says, hey, I have done what your voice said in establishing a monarchy and ended the theocracy. He says, hey, now you have a king that walks before you. He is the one you are now following, not me. And my sons are with you. That's kind of a little bit of a scathing aside to his sons. Remember his sons from earlier in 1 Samuel? Those that were established as, as God's leaders as well, but used their position for personal gain and for treachery and for bribery in their judgment. Samuel continues on with his speech to them in, in verse 3 asking them if he has done anything wrong as God's judge over them. And they respond with, with, no, you haven't. And God is witness to that. I think underlying all of this is an unspoken question in Samuel's mind as he goes through and establishes his righteousness, not his perfection, but his righteousness as judge, that he consulted God in his judgment that God led him. I think the question that he's thinking in his mind is, if I have obeyed God and done what was right before God and before you, why are you ready to move on from me as a leader? I mean, we think, we know what the reasons were. Well, you're old and gray. Sorry, those of you that are old and gray in here. So maybe that's why they're saying, hey, it's just time for you to move on already. Let's get on to the next generation. They've said that, hey, your sons aren't following in your way, so maybe they're nervous that these corrupt boys will then take over. But I mean, haven't we seen judges in the past that were truly corrupt? And old and died off as a judge? And somehow, God in his sovereign control does what? Appoints. Another judge. God has that. He's taken care of it. So ultimately, as God reminded Samuel, the nation of Israel was not unsatisfied with Samuel. was unsatisfied with with God. So now he goes into an appeal. He's established his righteousness. Now verse 6 picks up this appeal. And Samuel said to the people, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, take a moment, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. Samuel starts off and he takes them to history class. Was that any of your favorite class in high school? other history people history majors i was an english major i like lit i hated grammar but history is engaging it's thoughtful and in the second hour we'll talk about more about why he brings in this history lesson but in this history lesson what is he's what he's establishing is this look at what god has done for you throughout history and see god's faithfulness so he takes them first to the Exodus. I mean, this is a story that you heard at two years old that your parents would tell you. It would be the thing that was ingrained in your mind as you looked at the history of Israel. Here is what God did for us. We were in a land that was not our own, and they enslaved us, and God, through miracles, let us out. God showed himself faithful. Everybody knew that story in Israel. As soon as they could talk, they could share it with somebody else. God has been faithful to you. Then verse 9, he talks about their fathers. Go to verse 9. But they forgot the Lord their God. They didn't forget the story. They forgot that they were to remain faithful to the God who is faithful. They were, their fathers were unfaithful. But their fathers did something in verse 10. And they cried out to the Lord. So after punishment comes in their life and natural consequences from no longer following God, they end up under the control of the Philistines, the king of Moab, verse 10. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. So these fathers of previous generations finally... Repent. And if you know the book of Judges, what happens? Again and again. But there's this cycle where they finally, after time, repent of their sin, turn to God, and then God does what? Verse 11. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. God faithfully provides for their deliverance and safety. In this case, through means of the judges. And Samuel reminds them that I'm not only a prophet, I am a judge. Now he takes this history lesson and he comes to the present in verse 12 with their choice. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. He refers back to what we have recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 8. So they request this king. They give their reasons. You're old and gray. Your kids are evil. The other nations have a king. And remember in 1 Samuel 8 when they state that, hey, we need a better scenario for our lives and our nation than what God set up. Samuel doesn't immediately say, oh, okay. He takes a special poignant moment, a formal moment, to let them know what it means to have a king. How this system that they want is inferior to a system that God has established. And here now, he reminds them of their response when he took the time to really think it through. This is more than just an aside and taking somebody out to breakfast to let them know about the evil that they are doing. This is a formal altogether having a moment with somebody that you've set up and formally established, possibly with a mediator saying, you are wrong and you need to change this and do what is right or there will be consequences on your life. And they, instead of saying, okay, we get it, we repent, instead, they double down on their craving. They double down on their desire. And they stick their feet in like the kid in the grocery store or the toy store that really wants what he is, throws themselves on the ground and kicks and screams until the embarrassed parent finally throws it in the cart. And that's what the nation of Israel does. And they got what they wanted. Now, we come to verse 13, and this is historically the key verse in this whole passage. This is what we're going to talk about in, in the second hour is the other bookend to Joshua 24. And here's what happens. This is a huge transition in the life of Israel, verse 13. And now, behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. You have now moved from the time of the judges that started right after Joshua 24 where God dictated direction to the time of the kings. Now a man dictates direction and maybe follows God's revelation. Now notice this. Now a curve comes in God's path. God had a path that they were taken. They've done evil. God, for his reasons, allows it to happen. talk about that more later. And God throws the curve in the road as he goes along with them and gives them a king. But Samuel reminds them what they need to remember, even now that they have a king. He reminds them of the covenant. He reminds them that it is their job to be faithful to their God. Verse 14, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice, And not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the face of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. So here's Israel. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, if you're familiar with their relationship with God, they're in a covenant relationship with God. What does that mean? It means that their prosperity as a nation, their protection, their safety, their abundance was directly related to being faithful to God. God and His end of the covenant promised to be faithful to them, to make them his nation just because of a complete and utter graceful choice, not because they deserved it. He makes them his nation to follow him and have a theocracy, the one navigating their lives that created them. And they here in asking for another ruler has acted in a break of that covenant and God has every reason in the world to stand before them and judge them. We don't always like these passages in the Old Testament because we want God to be a loving, kind God all the time as we define it. Yet, if we were to go in a courtroom and have a defendant there and a prosecutor, and the prosecutor labels us defendant with all these things they've murdered people out of cold blood, they've killed people, they've done wrong, and stacks up these things we're not going to stand before that judge and say, Come on, judge. Be loving and good. Let them off the hook. I mean, somebody does any inkling of wrong in this world, and it goes public, and people are at them. We want justice. We want righteousness. And God has been more faithful to Israel than any judge has been to any defendant in the world. God has every right to move on judgment on them. But instead, Samuel reiterates that God has chosen to give them their king. And now both them and their king should be faithful to God because if they become unfaithful, now they are an enemy of God because they no longer trust him. Now we look at this, this in-depth reminder, and we think, okay, Samuel's taken them to their history. He's given them this appeal. Now they should get this, right? Samuel ends the speech like, okay, that was nice. Can we go home now? No repentance, they didn't learn from history, they didn't learn from the present, they're ready again to say, okay, that's cool, Samuel, can we move on and go to lunch now? They should get this, they understand their history, but the history lesson doesn't work. I think there's a little bit of a side here for us. I mean, if we would look at our history and actually calculate all the times that even in our estimation, God has been faithful and good to us, they would far outweigh any moment where we struggle with Doubt. God's faithfulness to us. I mean, look at our history. If we have, if we have taken Scripture where God says, "Do this," the Proverbs, other places in Scripture where He says, "Follow this path," and it is the best path to follow. And we've seen that. We've walked it. We've seen God's faithfulness, God's goodness, as we walk. We know that then in the future, God will continue to do more of the same, but yet we often still do the detours and get off the exits and say, well, I don't believe God's word. I'm going to do life my way. And then our life crumbles. We often forget to look at art history and the work of God. So now the reminder is stepped up. Look at verse 16. Now Samuel's going to let them see the power of God. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. I mean, this is cool, isn't it? Like, I want to be there as a prophet. I want to be like, you guys aren't listening to what I'm telling you today. On your way home, you'll be driving up 309, and a huge tree will fall right in your path. You will stop at that tree, and another tree will fall right behind you. And they will keep falling to the point where they will surround your car. And then you'll know that you should have listened to what I told you. I mean, I want that in my arsenal. I want, as a pastor, as I talk to people, to walk around in my cool robe and say, I've spoken to you, won't listen. Now you'll know. Now you'll see the signs. That's what's going on. And you know what? When you have trees completely surrounding your cars, you're going to get out of your car and say, Okay, I get it, God! (laughs) It's exactly like you said. And it happens. And this isn't a good thing. It's a time of the harvest. If any of you are farmers, you know that this means bad news. I mean, you want rain until the harvest. But then when it's harvest, you want dryness. So you can get to the crops. So you can do your job. And here now, they're facing the possible consequence of the loss of their crops. Their livelihood. But they have the mark of the two by four on their face as Samuel swings it to get their attention. And they get it. Look at verse 19. And the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God. Oh, you finally realize that you weren't making God your God. That we may not... Die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. They finally acknowledge their sin. Took a while. But thankfully, they get it. Now here's where Samuel is a better prophet than I would be. I mean... If I was him, I'd be like, okay, well, you didn't listen to me. Now you gotta do this and this and this and this and this because you didn't get it and I wasted all my time on you. Now you gotta waste some time doing what I want you to do. Samuel doesn't do that. Samuel goes directly to God's grace. He says, You know the God that I was telling you about that's been faithful to your nation? He will continue to be faithful. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid, you have done all this evil. Yet. Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You've sinned and you realize it, and now be faithful to God. Get back on the path. Verse 21, I think this is the main conceptual passage, verse in this text. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people, for his great name's sake. Because it is pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. A great testimony to the goodness of God. Because it's in his name. Faithful is his name. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Not only will God be faithful to you, I'm going to continue to execute my role as prophet. No longer judge, but I'll be the prophet. I'll pray for you. I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. He says, God, in his parting thought, God has done so much for you. Stay faithful to him or your life will crumble and that of your king. A lesson that sadly in the future, both their king and them will learn. So what do we learn in this chapter? I mean, there's an obvious, isn't it? And you know, I've said the word faithful so many times. This passage is obviously about faithfulness and Israel's covenant relationship with God. God provides for it and preserves them and leads them. But they continue under God's leadership to grow enamored with the world around them. They struggle with that. Just like in this passage and countless times in their history and their future because they want what the others have even though they already had the best. We're different than them because we're under a new covenant, right? We don't have this identical reciprocal relationship. We're not under a theocracy. But as I go through this passage and look at the text and see the curve that God sent in with allowing the king, I know where this is going, don't you? This king will lead to the next king. The greatest king that Israel had ever seen. King David. Imperfect. But God's king in God's time. You know where the path continues to take after the curve? This imperfect King David. In his line comes the perfect king. The Messiah. He is the one that will rule and reign no longer through a mediator, the judge, but God himself, in our future, directing us in all his glory, with us perfectly following. I mean, that's cool. <laughs> but in that, Samuel gives them a reminder for the present. So, no, Jesus has come, but we don't have that future rule. Christ is ruling and reigning, but it's not complete because we haven't given new perfected bodies. and We are not with him in a new heaven, in a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. So Samuel, in their context, gives them verse 21 that we need as well. This is the diagnosis verse. Here's why they were seeking a king and why they would turn away from God. It's because they were pursuing that which was worthless, that which is empty. Put a treasure chest in your mind. Every person in our world is pursuing a treasure chest. But here's what's so sad for so many. They put this incredible effort into going after the thing that they would believe will satisfy. They finally get to the treasure chest. I mean, they've worked for this. They've lied, cheated, and stole for this. I mean, they put countless energy into this thing that would finally satisfy over all things. And they open the chest, and it's empty. You know, we're called as humans to pursue work. Throughout Scripture, there's a call from God for men and women to be at work in this world. So in here, it's not a discouragement of efforts, goals, and hard work. Rather, it is effort, goals, and hard work with the right treasure chest, with the right focus, allowing all your direction to be structured by God and his word. And it is there that, as Samuel explains to the Israelites, and as we need explained to us today, it is there that safety is found. So this isn't farewell to Samuel the prophet, only Samuel the judge. So he would not lead the nation under direction from God, but he would continue to speak God's word to the people. But just like every king that Israel would have is imperfect, so is every prophet. But one day, as we looked ahead in that road, the king, the prophet would come into their lives and be perfect in leadership and revelation. He would be the standard of perfection that all the former kings, all the former prophets would be measured by. He is the treasure A pursuit of him does not leave you empty and unfulfilled, but with more joy and fulfillment than a thousand other treasures in a thousand other lifetimes could bring you. I think the perfect way to close this passage is to go to Hebrews 1 and look at him. This is the treasure that is contained here. This is the one that we should all be pursuing. When Jesus gives us instruction, when we look at his life, we change. He is the one that is treasure that is found in the chest, and look at him. We open up the treasure chest, and here's what it says about him. Long ago at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. I love the aspect of, of creation. I mean, I, I'm not good with working with wood. I love being around carpenters. I can take a hunk of wood and fashion it into something beautiful or useful. I mean, Jesus takes nothing and fashions everything. Isn't he awesome? Verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Make Jesus your treasure. Strive to be faithful to God by being focused on the one who is truly worthy of your focus. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reminders from your word. Thank you for history lessons that we need. I pray that this history would guide us in our future, in our present. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Continue to drive us to our knees in repentance Help us to fill our days in whatever we do, working towards the great treasure that is knowledge of Christ and making him known to this world. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.